Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Brian Dean. He is the founder of Backlinko and is an internationally recognized entrepreneur and SEO expert. I think it, that international thing comes in because uh, it is a really easy one for him because he lives in Berlin. So, you know, here we are talking uh, in the United States. So, you know, you check that one off right away. Hey, Brian. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me, John. So you're, you, you know, I've said this before, I've said this the last time we talked, I've said this in blog posts. Um, I really think that uh, in terms of this crazy science of SEO that uh, people write thousand page books about, um, that, that you provide, I think, some of the most useful, actionable uh, content and tips uh, that, that really, I, I think, just about any business can apply. But I, I think particularly that kind of bootstrapping or DIY, you know, type of person uh, can do. And I, I'd love to have you kind of reveal a few of those on a, on a couple choice topics that, uh, that are going to loosely be around the topic of SEO. Does that sound fair? Yeah, sounds good. So first a little background, how you, you have, um, uh, and again, I think a lot of people say, well, gosh, you know, John, you've been doing this for 15 years and you had this big head start on, you know, blogging and all this stuff. It's harder today. Um, <laughs> you know, you've actually been in the SEO space for what, five or six years? Uh, I launched Backlinko about three years ago, oh, three but years. I, okay. but I've been in the space in terms of doing my own sort of affiliate thing and also some consulting before then. Yeah. So, so even just the, the fact that Backlinko gets the kind of traffic it gets and certainly the, the, the keyword, uh, um, results that you're getting, I think, uh, demonstrates that if you produce, uh, maybe even quality over quantity, uh, you can indeed compete in a very competitive space. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it, there's no doubt about it that back in the day it probably was a little bit easier. Um, just like with anything, you know, like if you're on Twitter in 2006, it was a lot easier to get followers. But that doesn't mean that you can't get a lot of followers today. So it's the same idea. It was easier, but with the right approach and the, the right strategy, you can definitely grow your blog really, really quickly. Probably faster than you could in some ways uh, back in the day because just more of an audience out there. Yeah, it's it, it, it's funny. I remember when I used to start telling people, "Oh, you need to have a blog," you know, and they would say, "Well, I don't read any blogs, so clearly nobody else does." And I think a lot of um, a lot of times they they neglected to realize that every time they went out there and typed a, a question into Google, their the answer was actually coming up on a blog. But you know, they they didn't see that as reading blogs. And I think that that's you know now I think it's just it's it's content, it's search content, it's it's you know branding content. I mean. it's it's not really even the, – the, the word blog, I think, doesn't even really have to be part of the conversation. Yeah, it's true. I'd say most people – I hear a lot of people just call articles posts now yeah. and sites blogs. Like they're very interchangeable these days. Yeah, I think that's right. So I want to focus on um, three very specific topics. Keyword research, that, that kind of like finding the ideas for the content you should write. Link building. Um, you, you actually sent out an email today talking about uh, even though everybody knew that link building was important, you know, Google is finally saying it's really important. Um, and then last one, list building, because I think you write some great content. You get some people to your site. Uh, other people are linking to your site. Now, how do you capture some of that so that you can uh, build a relationship and market to them? So in, in, 
you know, less than 20 minutes, I'm going to ask you to like dump everything you know about those three topics. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So keyword research. So the, again, the idea, I think that's a term that's been around forever. A lot of SEO folks, that was kind of how they figured out, you know, the most trafficked words that they could build pages or sites around. Uh, but today I think it's become more universally applied in circles of marketing just because, you know, content is such an important thing. So how do you go about if you were uh, starting a new site or if you had a business and you wanted to optimize that site, you know, how do you go about trying to figure out what are the themes, what are the phrases, what are the categories that you should go after? Oh, that's a great question. And I really like how you brought up the fact that keyword research isn't just important for SEO because it's something that, like you said, a lot of people ignore because they think, well, I'm not really doing a lot of SEO. I don't need to worry about keywords. But the fact is keyword research is really just market research for the 21st century. Because when you do keyword research, what you're really figuring out are the thoughts, the, the desires, the fears, the needs of your target audience, and specifically the words they use to describe all that stuff. And when you figure that out, you get a better understanding of your target customer. So if, pretend there's no such thing as SEO. That's just a good thing to do for your business and marketing in general. But it also has the added advantage of when you use the exact words and phrases that your customers use online, they're more likely to find you than your competitors. And a big mistake people make is like, well, Google's really smart. If I wrote really great content, it'll bubble up to the top. But the problem is Google is smart, but they're always going to show the, the result that's more relevant. So if you're article uses the exact words and phrases that your target audience uses and another one doesn't, it's going to have an edge over the other content, all other things being equal. So I do spend a lot of time kind of in the weeds with keyword research because it's really important for that. Yeah, and I think um, I think a lot of people have to realize that Google doesn't care about the content producers, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> what they care about is the person who goes to their product, their search engine, and types in something and gets a result. That's their customer, and and that's you know I think a lot of people get upset with with Google for making changes here and changes there. Well, they're always made. Or, Theoretically, if we're not being cynical, they are always made <laughs> so that that searcher has a better experience. And that, I think, if you keep that mindset um, first and foremost, um, it probably will help you kind of understand why this is so important. So, so what are what are again? Let, let's open up, you know, open up that notebook and say, okay, here are the first three things, or the top three things, or the three things nobody else does that uh, that helps me kind of get an edge on the best keyword research. Sure. So the first thing I do is figure out where your target audience and target customers hang out online. So this is very different depending on your target customer. So if your target customer is a 22-year-old in New York City, obviously they're going to be hanging out on Reddit, right? Um, if it's a 45-year-old single mom, they might hang out on a forum for single parents or they might hang out on a forum for personal finance, right? It just depends totally on your target customer. For me, uh, as someone that that targets marketing professionals, my target audience tends to hang out on places like inbound.org, on growth hackers, they hang out on certain blogs like duct tape marketing and I can see what comments they leave. And that way you get a better idea of where to even start because if you don't do this step and you get right into the nitty gritty of keyword research, you, it's hard to see the forest for the trees because that keyword might have X amount of searches per month. But it doesn't mean your customer is searching for that. And that's a really important distinction and a mistake I've made in the past. Uh, actually, a couple of years ago, my affiliate marketing days, I had a site that was getting 60,000 unique visitors, visitors a month. 
but it wasn't converting at all. It's because the people that um, the affiliate product that I was promoting, I thought people searching for that would want it, but come to find out they don't. But I had to learn that the hard way after months of grinding with content and keyword research and on-page SEO and link building, finally getting number two for this competitive keyword, all the traffic comes and nothing. And it's because I didn't do that first step of understanding what these people actually want, need, et cetera. So the first step is to find these communities that people hang out in and kind of spy on them and stalk them. Find out the words and phrases that they use and specifically what problems they're having, which usually people that have problems and they write it in a forum or in a blog comment, they also search for it in Google. Maybe not that exact person, but that group. So once you do that, your next step is to generate keyword ideas around that topic. And this is where things get tricky because there's like a million and one keyword research tools. And the best uh, in many ways is the Google Keyword Planner which is Google's official tool for AdWords, but it's probably used more for SEO than AdWords, to be honest. What's nice about that is that you get keyword information straight from the horse's mouth. So when you see that a keyword gets 1,000 searches a month, you know that it's pretty accurate. It's not exactly 1,000 and it varies a lot, but for the most part, you know that that's accurate. So it's a great place to start. The only problem with the Google Keyword Planner is that when you enter a keyword into it, it usually doesn't give you a lot of creative ideas. So for example, if your site sells vacuum cleaners and you run an e-commerce site and you put in vacuum cleaners, the keywords Google is going to show you are like vacuum cleaner reviews, uh, best vacuum cleaners, and some buy vacuum cleaners. These are variations that you could have thought of yourself. But there's a little trick that I call the GKP hack that basically tricks the Google Keyword Planner into giving you keyword ideas that are different and they're probably keywords that your competition doesn't see. Because all your competitors are also putting vacuum cleaners into the tool and getting the same keywords and optimizing around them. But there are a lot of keywords that the planner won't show you unless you know this trick, uh, to, you won't see them. So to use it, basically what you do is you log into the Google Keyword Planner, which is in AdWords, just like normal. But instead of entering a keyword, there's a field below it called your landing page. And this is where, in theory, you put your landing page into it, Google scans it for topics and keywords, and generates ideas. But the trick is that it doesn't actually have to be your landing page. It can be any landing page online. And when you enter different landing pages into that field, you'll get tons of different, very creative keyword ideas that you wouldn't get otherwise. So you can, depending on your industry, you can use e-commerce category pages, product pages. Uh, what I like to use are speaker agendas or agendas for conferences because they usually have a lot of different topics that are in demand. Pop those in there. You can put blog posts. You can put articles. You can put Wikipedia entries. You just pop different stuff in there, and you're going to get a bunch of awesome keywords that you wouldn't get otherwise. So once you have this kind of big list, it's time to whittle it down and separate the wheat from the chaff. And that's where the Google Keyword Planner is helpful because it'll show you search volume information for all of your keywords. And now there are ways to determine like competition and whether or not you can rank for that keyword, but I find that they're really inaccurate and they don't take into account all of Google's 200 ranking factors. So it's really hard to know which keywords to pick. So it's a bit of an art um, and a science, but you can get all the information you really need from Google itself, from the Google Keyword Planner and just straight up searching in Google. So once you find a keyword that seems like a potentially good fit, the first thing you want to look at is a search volume. So John, you, you said that this is for more of a new site that's sort of 
getting into content marketing and SEO, in that case, you want to go for probably a keyword that has a little less search volume. Now, it may only get, in some cases, 150 searches a month. But if that's a great fit for your business and these people are going to convert for you, that's a keyword that I would consider going for because it's probably less competitive than the keyword that's getting 3,000 or 5,000. Um, also, because Google is smart, if you rank for that keyword, a lot of times you also rank for several variations. So you get more than 150 mm -hmm. searches per month. Um, then and then the next thing to look at that is important to pay attention to is called the estimated bid. So this is all within the Google Keyword Planner, which is free. So it's called estimated bid, which is how much they recommend an AdWords advertiser should bid on that keyword. And in general, the higher that number, the more monetization potential there is for that keyword. So if someone's bidding $3 a click, that means, hey, some of those people are buying. So that's estimated cost per click. So obviously, if someone pays $40 a click, it means that that person is likely to buy that thing. So that's something that's called commercial intent. So those are the two main factors you want to take into account, the search volume and the commercial intent. If you find a keyword that doesn't get a lot of searches and has a high uh, um, cost per click or estimated bid as it's known now, that's probably a good keyword to go after. Now, if you, your site already has some authority, you're already ranking for some keywords, um, and you already get a lot of search engine traffic, that shows that Google likes your site, and that's when you can go for slightly more competitive keywords. But in general, I do recommend people don't shoot for the moon with keywords because if you don't get it, a lot of times you end up on the third page. And the third page, you might as well be on the eighth page or the tenth page. It really doesn't matter. But with the same amount of effort, you can get and maybe in the top three for a keyword that doesn't get a lot of search volume. And uh, that's where all the money is. That's where all the traffic is. So that's why I recommend going for those slightly less competitive keywords. Now, you can do things like look at the first page of Google and evaluate the competition, but it's something that just takes a ton of time. It's an imperfect science at best. Um, so I recommend just giving a glance at the first page. If it looks completely impossible, like the content is amazing and the sites are super authoritative, then I move on to the next keyword. But if you feel like you could have a spot in there, um, you could maybe punch above your weight a bit and get on there, then I say go for that keyword. And, the, and then, you know, obviously, if somebody's building a new site, you know, the, the whole idea was to then architect the site around, you know, some key themes. But, but this really, from an ongoing st standpoint, could give you some really good ideas for, you know, next Tuesday's blog post, right? Definitely. It can be used either way. I mean, once you have these keywords um, in hand, they can be used for, like you said, the next blog post. Or if you have a podcast, you can do it for that. If you're creating an infographic, you can optimize the blog post that you announce it on. You'll even come across service pages or product pages, depending on what you sell on your site, uh, those keywords that you can potentially add to. So this is kind of a thing you, you can do once, and that list of keywords can serve you for months. Like I barely do keyword research anymore because I did it, and now I have the list. I just go to the list, pick a keyword, create content around it, and rank. And that's pretty much the process. Now, occasionally, I do check if there's like a new thing that's come out. Uh, in certain industries, uh, John, like you mentioned, SEO is changing a lot. There's you know, just new, new concepts that are coming out, like Google Hummingbird. So that's a keyword I might look at to see, hey, is there any interest in this? Are more people searching for that? But for the most part, I have the list and I just refer to it. So it's one of those things, it's, it's a bit of a, a legwork in the beginning, but it pays off over the long term. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by my friends at 
FreshBooks. I have loved this tool for a really long time. Uh, it is super intuitive, makes creating, sending invoices really simple. You know you got to collect the cash, you got to keep track of the expenses, and you got to collect the cash. That's really what it comes down to uh, in your finances. FreshBooks takes about 30 seconds to set it up. You can personalize it for your brand, and your clients can now start paying you online, which for many people can speed up getting paid. You'll know whether or not they opened up an invoice. Really, really great tool for creating invoices. But it does a heck of a lot more. Uh, obviously, that's one of the key features. But you can also track your expenses and put them into categories so that all of a sudden the, the bookkeeping and accounting stuff gets a lot easier. Of course, there's a mobile app. You can track cash flow so that you know when to expect money coming in. Time tracking. If you're doing uh, any invoicing or projects uh, that are hourly based, you can just put it right into FreshBooks. So here's the thing you need to know is that if you are a person that uh, really does not like the numbers, uh, maybe especially if you're one of those people, FreshBooks is offering a month of unrestricted use to all duct tape marketing listeners. It's totally free right now, and you don't even need a credit card to get started. Just go to freshbooks.com slash duct tape. So let's switch gears a little bit to uh, to link building. Uh, obviously, we could talk all day just about creating great content around, you know, these keywords, but Google certainly um, is admitting the fact that uh, they, they use a lot of outside signals like other authoritative sites linking to you. I mean, that uh, that's a huge part of how they're going to start saying, well, this we're going to rank this content over that content. Now, you know, I still get the occasional email of, hey, I wrote this article, link to me, um, <laughs> type of, of uh, <laughs> request, which I, I of course, immediately ignore, but how does somebody go about getting more and more links um, proactively? Obviously, you write good content for a long time, you're going to get links, but how does somebody kind of amp that up? Uh, it's a good question, and uh, honestly, the answer does come down to emailing people and asking for a link, but <laughs> with a big but, there's a lot of nuances there. There's a big difference between saying, hey, John, you don't know me from Adam. Uh, I have a content that's, I have a piece of content that's okay, it's, it may even be good. Um, I don't I have no idea where you link to it from your site or where it would add value to users, but just link to me. You can figure it out. You have plenty of time on your hands, right? You have nothing going on. Um, and being like, hey, John, uh, nice meeting you last week at the conference. Um, I know you said you liked my last blog post. I just put out another one. You have this resource page about this topic. Um, maybe you would consider adding a link to my blog post. Those are two totally different things. They're, they're very similar in theory, but the, the details definitely matter when it comes to link building. So to answer your question about how to proactively do it, the number one strategy that I recommend people use is called resource page link building. So resource page link building is just like it sounds. You're building links from resource pages. And resource pages are kind of this old school, I wouldn't call it relic of the old web, but um, they're not as big as they used to be, um, although they still exist. And I even have resource pages on Backlinko. Mm -hmm. And the, basically, resource pages are a curated list of great resources on a given topic. And these existed back in the day because search engines weren't very good. So for people to understand, if you wanted to learn about making uh, sauerkraut at home, you know, there was nowhere to search. Or there were, but they were like Alta Vista, and the results were terrible. So these resource pages were curated by a human and said, hey, here's all you need to know about 
uh, making sauerkraut at home. And these are gold mines back in the day. As search engines became better, specifically Google, these resource pages you know, became a little less important. Although they're making a comeback today because people are just deluged with content and even search engines do a great job of ranking content, but they're not hand curated. Like if I had a, a John Janch guide to um, podcasting, I would much rather read that than just go to Google and put in like podcasting tips and having some random person's thing pop up. Yeah. So these are making a comeback as people want human hand curated content. So, so in, in, in a lot of ways, you're saying that authority, you know, is what makes that more popular than the person that just went and rounded up a bunch of links. Exactly. So it's it's the, the expert. Yeah. It's the expert saying this is great. Uh, and if an expert says it, then that says a lot. Um, not only in the minds of the people, but also to Google, because the site that the expert runs is probably authoritative in the eyes of Google. Because like you said, John, that site has the links that Google wants to see. And when you get a link from that site, it's a lot better than getting it from some random site. And the great thing about resource pages and why I recommend people use them is for a couple reasons. First of all, they're easy to get links from because they're made to link out. The purpose of them is to link to great content. So when someone adds a link on a resource page to your site, you're actually making their resource page better. It's a win-win for both parties. Unlike saying, hey, John, link to my site, which doesn't add value to him, uh, to you, but adds value to the random person. Um, It's a huge, huge difference, um, but it's the difference, and it's the difference that can make that is the difference between getting deleted and actually getting a link. Now, of course, your, your content has to be up to snuff. Besides just having great content and all that stuff, the key is making sure you're not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. This is a mistake I made with email outreach and resource page link building for a long time. So you know, someone would have uh, a resource page and it would be about how search engines work. And I'd be like, oh, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, my thing's about on-page SEO. It's kind of like how search engines work because I do talk about that. Let me give it a shot. That works like 0% of the time because it's a stretch. You, you can make it fit because you want the link. But to that other person, they're saying, this is a great piece of content, but it's totally irrelevant to this resource page. I want to keep it on topic. So to kind of walk you through the quick step-by-step process, what you want to do is first find resource pages on your topic. Well, actually, there's step zero, which, like you said, John, is to create that great piece of content. So instead of just sitting on it and using what I call the publish and pray approach, you got to proactively get out there. So once you've created this piece of content that deserves links, um, it's a matter of finding these resource pages. And another great thing about them is that they have footprints that make them very easy to find. So you can go just put a search in Google and put like podcasting in quotes plus resources or podcasting plus in quotes useful resources. You can use even advanced search operators which are great for resource page link building like podcasting tips um, plus and you could put in URL colon uh, resources. So what, what in URL colon does is it limits results to um, pages that have that keyword in the URL itself, which is huge for resource page link building. So if you say, if you just put useful resources in quotes, you'll find a lot of pages that are are decent, but they're not resource pages. But a lot of times when someone creates a resource page, they'll use the word resources or useful resources or helpful resources in the URL, but not not maybe on other places on the page. So it can bring up some just pretty much only resource pages in that event. The next step is to reach out to them and say something like, hey, 
I noticed you have this resource page about X. It's really great. Um, I have a piece of content that might be a good fit. Do you want to check it out? Um, that way the onus is on them to get back to you. You're not being pushy. You're not burning bridges. And if they say yes, then you send the piece of content with a very slight pitch like, um, it'd be great if you can, here's my piece of content. It would be great if you consider adding it to your resource page. That way you're respecting their decision making and not being like, hey, can you give me a link? Um, and it has a little more of a back and forth than just asking for a link straight off the bat. Plus I think you've, you know, you've been very direct about where and how and, and just makes even if the decision is no it makes it a lot easier without burning any bridges i think yeah that's a good point yeah um, see that, that that's another thing about resource pages you're, you're giving them a specific place to add the link so they don't have to think yeah yeah i mean and and you know site like mine i've got pages i don't even remember there anymore you know so <laughs> right. somebody's telling me uh you know you've got this page over here and this would be a great fit at least it gives me the ability to go oh yeah that might work um, you know, rather than, like you say, kind of dig through thousands of pages and try to figure it out. Um, let's switch gears again because, uh, I, again, I know I'm trying to give people just a taste of uh, some of these ideas. But, but now we're, we've got links. We've got great content. People are visiting our site. What are, what are some of your maybe two or three best tips for getting those people on an email list then or building an email list? Well, the number one is something I learned somewhat recently. So, Back in the day, uh, about a year ago, I had my homepage was my blog feed. And, th and this applies to pretty much every type of site. So if you run a service-based business or an e-commerce site, this same rule applies, which is to make your homepage, uh, the number one goal is to get them to do that thing you want them to do uh, without a lot of distraction. So if you run a service-based business, a lot of times it's actually collecting emails. And if you run an uh, e-commerce site, a lot of times that's still getting, an email, getting someone's email or getting them to shop and then getting their email. So with my homepage, I had a big box at the top that was like, hey, get this thing and enter your email. And it was somewhat compelling and it converted okay. But the problem was if that person didn't want to do that, which most people don't, they scroll down and all of a sudden there's this great – all these blog posts there. And it's like, wait, why would I ever opt in? You know, I have all I need right here. So what I did is I made my homepage sort of like when you don't log into Twitter or Facebook. It's just like a landing page. It's like, give me your email and get out. Um, and it seems a bit pushy and a lot of people are afraid to do it. And I was actually a bit skittish about doing it. But I'm glad I did because my conversion rate on my homepage went from 4% to 12%. Uh, in terms of getting emails because it's it's actually somewhat difficult to find the blog from the homepage. So you can say that, yeah, people are, where's the blog, you know, and they'll give up. But I find a lot of people can find it if they want to find it. There is a link on the page. And also, if your goal is to get conversions, your page should be optimized for that, not all this other fluffy stuff that you can't measure, um, et cetera. So that's number one is really looking at the homepage. So sorry, John, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you I've been guilty of this, probably still am guilty of this, but I think there is this temptation to, well, let's put everything here so that you know people can have all the choices they want and they'll figure it out. But I think that what happens is they get kind of overwhelmed and don't do anything. Exactly. The most importantly, I think they don't, and this is something I had, they don't do the thing you want, um, which I know it's great that it's the user and all that stuff, but ultimately it's your site, it's your business, you know, um, and you shouldn't be ashamed of asking people to give you their email, their credit card information at some point. Uh, I think the homepage is just a great place to do it because it sets, the, it's, 
it's a huge traffic place. Uh, a lot of times people who go to the homepage have heard about you from somewhere, like at a conference or word of mouth, or they've read a, maybe a guest post by you and they go to your homepage. They're really primed to subscribe to your newsletter. So it's a great time to hit them up. Um, so once you've done that, and I think that's something that, that made a big difference for me because I had tons of options on the site and people just took none. Or they took the one path of least resistance, which was to read a post. Um, the, the best by far, though, is the content upgrade. And the content upgrade has just been a game changer for me. I mean, it literally tripled my conversion rate in like six weeks. Just insane. And basically what it is is... You, as you grow your blog and you get into serious about content marketing and SEO, you're going to find that a large percentage of your visitors land on blog posts from search engines and social media. And they land on the blog post and leave. Um, especially if your content's good, actually. A lot of times they read it, they get what they want, and they leave, which is good for Google because they're making their users happy and you can get higher rankings. But like you said, John, once you get these keywords and these links, the point is to ultimately get them to, to become a lead in a sale. So the content upgrade is basically instead of a generic offer on every page, you give them something that's tailored to what they're reading about in that blog post. Um, I first kind of learned about this from HubSpot because they created resources that were tailored more specifically to a blog post. So for example, if you're reading something about social media, they didn't say, hey, here are 10 best email uh, marketing tips. What they would make sure it was related, their offer was related to social media. Now the content upgrade takes us to like the extreme where you're giving them something that's actually specific to that post. So if they're reading something about you know, Twitter marketing tips, you're offering them a checklist on Twitter marketing. Or if it's about how to get more Twitter followers, you're offering them a case study on how to get more Twitter followers. And I used this on the first post that I tested it on and my conversion rate was terrible for this page. It was like 0.02%, uh, no, it was like 0.002%. And it increased by 785% by adding this content upgrade just by switching out, hey, get this ebook to here's this specific checklist about this content. So it's been a huge game changer for me. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things that go on with that. First off, if somebody has gone out and searched and they found your page, they may not know anything about you, but you had the answer to what they're looking for. And so the checklist, rather than like get on my you know, email list or sign sign up for this ebook or watch this series of videos, you know, that's a much bigger commitment. But the checklist, I think, is a really simple way for them to say, okay, yeah, this, I'll, I'll take this step. Um, but I think, uh, obviously, the other uh, advantage, and of course, it's more work, but it certainly, as you're suggesting, pays off, is that it, you're, you're effectively personalizing all of the content uh, for them, as opposed to just get the ebook, it's get the thing on the Twitter tips. And, you know, since that's why they came in the first place, it's, it's almost like you, you basically said, and, you know, here's, here's a way to get more of that same information you were looking for. So I, exactly. think, I think there's a lot of reasons. Those, those two reasons alone, I think, um, really make it uh, make this concept, uh, I, I think, pay off. And, uh, you, you know, you talk about 10 and 12 percent conversion. I mean, there's there's there are very few things out there that uh, convert. And by convert, we mean sign up to a list. Um, very few things out there that, that convert at that level. Right. So. so yeah, leave us with. Um, in fact, um, I'm going to specifically ask you to explain one um, uh, in some material that uh, I was reading um, that uh, you uh, talked about using LinkedIn groups as a way to build a list. Yeah, sure. So LinkedIn groups 
this is a this is kind of a hacky strategy, but it's worth it if you also want to market on LinkedIn. I wouldn't use this solely to build. To, I mean, to yeah, to build your email list because it's hard. It's a lot of hard work to build a LinkedIn group. Um, but right. if you're going to build one anyway, or if it's something that you're kind of considering and your target audience hangs out on LinkedIn, like we talked about earlier, and in a lot of markets, if you market to professionals of any kind, there. are on LinkedIn, and they're in LinkedIn groups. It's a great place to market to and find keyword, do keyword research. Um, so what you want to do is basically in LinkedIn, when someone joins your group, you can set up to send them an email that says, "Hey, welcome to the group." And most people have that. Hey, welcome to the group. Nice to have you. Bye. Uh, which is great to welcome them, but it doesn't get them on your email list. So what you can do is just change that welcome message and say, "Hey, welcome to the group." Um, if you want my free ebook on how to get more Twitter followers, feel free to sign up here and give them a link to a landing page where they can subscribe to your email list. And yeah, it works amazingly well. And I've seen a lot of people, I know a lot of people who run huge LinkedIn groups and they say that this is like one of their top list building strategies because these people are laser targeted. They just joined your group on that topic and you're hitting them up right away with a, kind of an irresistible offer that it just makes total sense for them to want to sign up to you. Um, you can also do things like follow-ups and things, but even that just welcome email can make a big difference. So I'm curious. Um, I want to do last uh, thing here is on tools. Are, are there what are some of your favorite tools for, you know, opt-in boxes, pop-up boxes, content upgrades, um, you know, inline forms? Uh, what, what's your current kind of favorite suite of tools for that? So fortunately, you don't need a lot to set this up. Um, a lot of people, you know, will get a thousand tools and try to make it complicated. But I'm always trying to simplify things, and I've basically whittled it down. You just need your email service provider, which you have anyway, like Aweber or Fusionsoft or whatever. And the next kind of must-have tool is is Lead Pages. Lead Pages is just awesome um, for creating landing pages, but more importantly, they have a feature called Lead Box which is basically a clickable link that creates a pop-up when clicked on. And there's a lot of you know, psychological reasons that people will more likely opt into that. But the number one reason is that when someone has kind of half committed to something, they're more likely to finish it. Mm-hmm. So when they see a form, they say, ah, I'm not going to fill that thing out. But when they click on a link that says download this PDF and the form is up, they're kind of like, ah, what the heck, I might as well fill it out. Yeah. It's also so the, the so night- they, made, they made the form happen. So it's their action that they took made the form happen rather than a form just staring at them. Exactly. So they, yeah, exactly. They feel like it's, yeah, they, they initiated the process and they might as well finish. The other thing is it does, because content upgrades actually go inside of your blog post, um, they don't deface your post like a form would. You know, like yeah. it just doesn't look good if you're reading an intro and you see a big old form. Yeah. And so wonder, a link looks much better. I wonder if people get a little bit uh, jaded to the to the forms too, and they just kind of almost don't see them anymore. Um, but obviously, that's one of those things you could test too. <laughs> exactly. So, so I, I've actually put some forms in the into posts to, to, after using the content upgrade, um, and I found that doesn't like you said, people just don't see them anymore. And I put them in the middle of a post, like you cannot miss it. It's, it's made to be very conspicuous and it doesn't seem to make a dent anymore. So the, the links were uh, with the lead box is where it's at. So it's kind of a, a two-step approach. Exactly. So you might think, oh, you get less conversions, but uh, I found you get significantly more. And it's also really easy to integrate that lead box with your email service provider. So it's just like two clicks, integrated, done. It's uh, very easy to set up. 
in terms of pop, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, no, I was just, I, I was going to agree with you and, uh, um, and, and wrap us up. So, uh, Brian, I appreciate you, uh, coming on and spending the time and, uh, hopefully we'll get to see you out there on the road sometime soon. Yeah. Sounds good, John.